0: Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's podcast episode. My name is J.W. Marshall with MarketScale and we're very excited to have Sabri Raja with us today. She is the founder and CEO of Nepris. Uh, Sabri, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, JW, thank you for having me.
0: Excellent, and we have got a lot of ground to cover today. Um, We got a really exciting uh, theme of bridging the gap between industry and education, which is applicable to every one of our listeners. And to begin, if you could just give our listeners a little background on yourself and a little background on NEPRIS.
1: Thank you so much. I am Shabri Raja. I'm co-founder and CEO of NEPRIS. My background has always been in education technology, over 20 plus years in the ed tech space primarily focused on using technology solutions and developing technology tools for the classroom. Seven years back when we founded NEPRIS, the main mission was to use technology to sort of bridge the gap between industry and education with the primary purpose of bringing real world relevance and career exposure to every student. Why this is important you know, the number one problem that we're solving is 47% of kids drop out because they don't see the relevance of school. We've all been there as educators, as parents. Why am I learning linear equations or why am I learning calculus? This is the number one reason that kids drop out because they don't see those connections. The recent study that was done by Stanford also highlights what we call the opportunity gap. That innovators. Like were coming from very few parts of the country, and they concluded that this had nothing to do with academic achievement, but everything to do with lack of exposure. So these are the two issues that we set out to solve. How do we bring relevance, and how do we bring exposure to every student through industry connections? That's really what we've been working on. In the last seven years, we've reached over 530,000 students, connected them with professionals from over 5,000 companies.
0: What has changed uh, since uh, COVID? What were you doing pre-COVID? And now what is the current state of uh, what you're doing under COVID? And and where is this going?
1: So even though, I mean, when, when COVID happened, we had a lot of requests saying, hey, you're already a virtual platform. You should be good to go. I mean, In in an ideal world, yes, but we still had a lot of work to do because a most important lesson I learned post-COVID was that virtual and remote are not the same, right? So instead of one classroom connecting with a professional, now there were... uh, 50 different kids in 50 different locations and online management and classroom management and everything was very different. So we had to do a lot of work to try and accommodate remote learning in this virtual setting. So we've been we've we've extended our platform to allow students to individually access all of these live sessions from home especially with the teacher permission, and we've also put more emphasis on the asynchronous part of it, meaning we do record every live interaction, whether it's a teacher requested industry connection or a company offered live session, we do record all of the live interactions and we have the largest, most authentic video library in the space, meaning 11,000 plus hours of industry generated content. So finally, I think we have a chance to really put that to use to enable student self-career exploration and stuff. So long story short, we we've had to really change and adapt the platform to support remote learning change the way we train teachers extend the platform for more uh self-paced career exploration possibilities as well
0: wow that's amazing um and that lines up exactly with what we're trying to do on this podcast is connect the business world and the education world so this is a perfect uh, uh topic to be covering um, we've talked a little bit about the pre and the post COVID and you've been in ed tech for over 20 years. What else have you seen just at a macro level in the industry as has been the biggest shift or shifts that you've seen, uh, in the last six months?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the number one shift that I've seen is the parent involvement, right? Um, I mean, I am a parent of two teenagers and, um, when COVID happened, it was it was right after spring break. And I feel like this was an extended spring break that nobody planned for. And even though the school districts did what they could do at that time, but most school districts were not prepared for a global pandemic, right? So, So the last three months of last school year really sort of highlighted the gaps Um, in sort of enabling a full virtual learning environment by the school district. I mean, many districts have used the summer to sort of understand and fix those issues and schools are back doing synchronous online learning and it's so much better than spring. But what happened at that time was as a parent, each parent started looking at how can we really you know bridge this gap while schools are still trying to figure things out so so we had to supplement as parents right and uh, i mean i'm very involved with my kids education and so are many parents but even though even then we were not this involved we were not involved at the curriculum level so parents suddenly started really paying attention to what was happening and parents started consuming more of what education technology had to offer right so for example we immediately reacted to that situation and for the very first time we, we within 3 weeks we developed and launched a virtual summer camp and we only had three weeks to develop, launch, market it, and actually have a consumer-focused product, which we've never done before. And there were over 3,000 kids that participated in that seven-week camp. It was a week after week, but it was just something that we would have never done. But as an tech company, we had to react to this new reality that parents are here and they want solutions and they want to be involved and again we are a company that's focused on equity of access not every parent especially parents from lower socioeconomic families did not have this luxury of finding supplemental content so so we had to really look at how do we you know as more parents are getting involved how do we not let this equity gap become wider right so it's it's a balance but um, that is the number one shift I see. Is now things have kind of gone back to, to you know, somewhat normal, meaning school, schools are back, uh, teachers are doing synchronous online classes, things are going well. Uh, but parents are still not taking the foot off the pedal, most parents, you know, we're keeping a closer eye, we're seeing what's happening, we're making sure that our kids are not falling behind. So that's the number one shift I see is whether you're a school district leader, whether you're an industry leader or an ed tech company leader, this is a shift that is somewhat here to stay. And we all need to ask ourselves, what does that mean for us as a company, You know, as a district? How are we gonna keep parents in the loop? How are we gonna keep them involved as opposed to sort of widening the gap? That's, that's the number one shift I see.
0: Absolutely agree. And that's something we've had a lot of conversation with on the podcast is the increased involvement of parents. Um, and even the increased ownership of their students' education to a deeper level into the curriculum and a newfound respect for teachers, of course, now that uh, parents have gotten to put the teacher hat on. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yes. But I, I, I think that is one of the silver linings is that parents now are going to stay more involved, maybe hopefully not to the level of teaching every day like some had to do in the spring or even the early uh, fall here. But uh, I think it's really exciting to see that involvement continue into this school year where hopefully we are uh, getting back to a new normal.
1: Yeah. Uh, One thing I wanted to add, JW, if you don't mind. Um, So for us, you know, I, I just wanted to give a clear example of how we are shifting our thought process to getting parents more involved. I mean, of course, we launched the virtual summer camp, which was purely focused on getting parents to sign their kids up. But we're not a consumer-focused company. That was kind of a stopgap effort to keep engagement going while schools were figuring it out, right? So uh, overnight, we're not going to suddenly shift to becoming a parent-focused, consumer-focused company. That's not possible for most companies. But so what we've done is we've said, you know, parents are professionals. A lot of parents are working professionals. So now when we work with the school district, we are trying to sort of, have this conversation with districts and say, how can we recruit your parents to actually connect with your classes? Because these parents all have jobs, they have skills, they have knowledge. Parents as professionals is a low hanging opportunity to really involve parents in the, in the child's learning. So that's the shift we are making to see how well and how, how effectively we can get every school district's parents directly involved in connecting with the students.
0: That's great. And a lot of our audience uh, are business leaders, school administrators, uh, but also parents. And so if you're out there listening, uh, connect with uh, NEPRIS if you want to get more involved. Um, shameless plug there. Uh, but it is true. <laughs> more and more uh, parents uh, are Business leaders, and this has really spurred them to get more involved in a lot of different ways. What have you have you seen any increase decrease in the companies that you work with around uh, the pandemic and how they're interacting with your uh, students?
1: Absolutely. I mean, we've always had um, a lot of interest from companies like, you know, AT&T and Verizon are two of our biggest industry partners, and they've always been very engaged. But what we're seeing now, um, since since the pandemic is a lot more companies are sort of coming to us saying, you know, we've been doing a lot of in person programs like, you know, supporting first robotics teams, or we've been doing um, summer job shadows and we've been offering some internships, we can't do any of that anymore, even if we get past this pandemic, there's the new norm may not be you know, that open to bringing students in groups to companies. And many times, even even before COVID, that was not a very scalable solution, but companies were doing it for decades and they were not willing to change much, you know. So this, right at the end of March, we conducted a virtual volunteerism webinar focused on companies. We had over 400 companies sign up to actually learn how to do this virtually, right? So it's definitely been um, sort of a, a big shift in how companies are thinking about education outreach and community engagement. A lot of times it was small groups of people engaging with their neighboring school district. It was all in person, but now, Um, that's just not possible, at least for the next year. So more and more companies are thinking, it's not just a temporary switch to virtual, we need a more long-term virtual education outreach and community engagement strategy. And that's where we are getting a lot of interest. And we've had conversations from small mom and pop companies in regional, um, in, in small regions to actually large companies, Um, You know, like the John Deere's and and you know the AT&Ts and Verizon's. Everybody is thinking about how do we have a more in more thoughtful, long term virtual strategy that could also help them scale. It's not to replace the in person stuff, but eventually, my my hope is that when we get back to pre COVID um, status, that every company has a both in-person and a virtual strategy uh, because that's really what is going to help them scale
0: that is great and that's what we're seeing as well Um, having both options but also leveraging the online option as a precursor oftentimes before coming on site to a campus or to a school or engaging in person because that makes the in-person engagement even more uh, impactful because it's not uh, just uh, kind of starting from square one. There's been some buildup, some foundational knowledge and interest. And then um, it's just a more impactful and more effective way to uh, use everyone's time. And as you said, very much more scalable, uh, which at market scale, of course, scale is in the name. We're all for uh, scalability. Um, You mentioned earlier that, that the real problem you're solving for students is that real world connection How early does that start? Um, Because I know you work with K through 12 and with community colleges. Um, What does that look like at the lowest levels?
1: No, absolutely, that's a great question because when we first started the company, I never imagined elementary students to connect with industry professionals. We started with middle and high school. And uh, in the same schools in the same districts that middle and high schools were using very soon elementary teachers were saying, why can't we use this platform right and then. After like two years when we looked at all of the data, we were so surprised that elementary usage was much higher than middle and high school and and there are a lot of reasons for this, but. It it surprised us I think one of the main reasons is that project based learning has really sort of taken center stage in many school districts and every project based learning unit, there is a need for uh, authentic um, uh, engagement. So every unit has at the beginning of the unit, some kind of an authentic engagement and most often teachers really don't know how to bring that authentic engagement. It's connected to real-world learning. So they often don't know how to do that. And that's where when they saw that, okay, here's a platform that could actually bring real-world professionals into the classroom, then, um, you know, it makes it easier for them to meet their project-based learning goals, right? So uh, one example would be, say, a second-grade classroom is learning about rocks. Right? So the beginning of that unit, you have an opportunity to introduce students to a geologist. So when you do that, suddenly you know there's more student engagement, there's a real professional who now they're learning about rocks, they can connect with the geologist. And similarly, they're learning about weather, they're talking to a meteorologist. In fifth grade, they're doing a project on solar powered cooker, they're talking to a renewable energy expert. So. The elementary teachers also have a little bit more flexibility in schedule, it's one teacher per classroom, so they can accommodate whether it's a a language classroom or whether it's a math classroom, they can easily shift and accommodate this bringing that real world connection. We also work with um, school districts like Cajon Valley Unified, who's a K through 8 district has done an excellent job of taking career readiness all the way down to elementary. There is now a lot of research that actually ties to early career exposure because even sometimes when kids come to high school, it's a little bit too late, you know? So there is a lot of research now tying it and there are districts like Cajon Valley that's doing a tremendous job. Uh, they are using what is called theory, uh theory where they are tying Uh, It's called a RIASEC, R-I-A-S-E-C. It's a personality model. Um, Like, I think it stands for realistic, investigative, artistic, social, I, I, I can't, I don't recall the entire abbreviation, but there's personality assessments that they're doing that is tying even kids in first grade to certain personality types and then tying that to particular career exposure so their goal Cajon Valley, the way they've done it, they they have this whole career exposure matrix by the time. You start from kindergarten and the kids come out of fifth grade as per this grid, they are exposed to at least. 58 different types of career professionals throughout their curriculum. And there's more and more of these models emerging where career readiness and exposure is going all the way down to elementary. And we are quite excited about that.
0: And and that's really amazing because that's where a lot of those foundations of learning begin in math and language. And so it, it almost is never too early to have that real-world connection and motivation uh, because, as you said, as you get into the later stages of your education, uh, you don't want to be going, I wish I would have studied more in this subject area or that subject area. Um, so that's a great connection. So then I guess kind of moving through the progression into middle school, what differences do you see at that point? Are there uh, more specific interest in careers or are they still middle school students still kind of generally open to all careers
1: uh yeah i mean mostly when it comes to kids they're generally open to all types of careers they still don't know what they really want to do right many times when we make these connections uh, we we get these survey results and we consider it a success even when a kid says i really don't want to be this particular you know person when i grow up or career when i grow up because it's not just about what you what you can do there's also equally uh equally, it's also equally important to understand what you don't want to do so in middle school the models We see are slightly different more and more middle school classrooms are actually leveraging industry connections for project mentoring, like small groups of students working on a project and they want to engage industry support early on. Uh, One of the uh, really popular projects is building a a model theme park in a math classroom. I think many districts do this activity as part of the curriculum. And in that case, they, they wanted to connect with the roller coaster design. I mean, how many teachers actually know a roller coaster or a theme park designer? So through the platform. They're now connecting with people whose jobs that it's not a very common job and uh, it's tied to the projects that they're working on in the classroom. So the students are able to get feedback at the beginning of a project and then they go through the process and get feedback in the middle of the project. So throughout a sort of a project, small group project, mentoring is quite popular in, in the middle school as we move into high school we see a lot of capstone project presentations, especially in CTE classrooms. We have the highest usage in high school CTE because career and technical education, now it's all tied to career pathways, right? Whether it's ag and food, whether it's IT, whether it's healthcare, they're all these students are going through specific pathways at that point, not not much in middle school, but the end of eighth grade, ninth grade, when they're choosing their pathways for CTE, there is somewhat of an interest in specific career pathways right if somebody's chosen healthcare then you definitely know that that is of interest what types of jobs within healthcare they still don't know But each of these career pathways within CTE is such a big focus. And many of the CTE classrooms are using um, our platform to connect with industry professionals for capstone project presentations. Students work on a project. And the final culmination of the project, they're actually required to present their project to external business and industry community, which most uh, educators don't have access to that. Even in school districts where they have work-based learning coordinators, it is a monumental job to try and coordinate that many uh, industry professionals from different career pathways and stuff. So that's where in high school, we do see a lot of CTE classrooms, um, you know, using Nepris for capstone project presentations, virtual work-based learning experiences um job shadows we also see a lot of high school classrooms using it for a college and college readiness as well like how do you write your first resumes how do you um you know virtual um, tours of workspaces exposing students to the pathways that they've prepared for what better way to do that than actually giving them a virtual tour of an actual company in that particular pathway so i mean there's so many different scenarios but that's kind of the progression we see
0: that's great. And, and that reminds me of the roller coaster engineer, um, I'm sure is a big draw, but that's still engineering and that's still getting students in, in involved and engaged in that field that then could lead to civil engineering or could lead to architecture or other things like that. So that's really great that you're able to make those connections with the actual professionals doing the work um, and then to the career Uh, you know, the same thing, you know, learning what you, you know, may want to do as your profession, but also learning what you don't want to do, uh, kind of like dating. You may have to date a few people to learn what you don't want in a, in a partner uh, to then realize what you do. So that's so valuable that at these young levels, these students are getting that uh, not just conceptual ideas, but real world uh, connections. And and that's really phenomenal. Uh, and then finally, at the community college level, I would guess it narrows even more to potentially moving into the the workforce with these companies.
1: Absolutely. We don't do any last mile placements and stuff. We do host virtual internships and virtual job shadows. So actually this morning, um, I heard from one of my team members who's working with a community college in California. They are basically setting up a full week of mock interviews for these students. I mean, that's so important for them to be prepared for their first jobs I mean, out of college. So we see a lot more of these happening in community colleges as mock interviews, um, maybe some virtual job shadows and virtual internships as well. But um, we don't don't really focus on the actual job placement because we are trying to take kids from exposing them and, and giving them different ways to think about what kind of careers and how to get ready for college. But at the community college level, it's very similar to high school. So we we still see all of this project mentoring, project evaluation, presentations. But we also see a lot more of the resume review sessions and mock interviews with at and and Verizon and virtual job shadows um, and and uh, scenarios like that.
0: And just shifting gears just a little bit um, to the companies that you work with, uh, do, do you often find that the companies work at multiple uh grade level segments, or do some of your companies just kind of focus on the younger students or the older students?
1: Yeah, I mean that most of them that are that have been doing education outreach for a long time, they kind of go all the way K through 12 and community college. But there is a general fear from companies about working with younger students. So um, many of them would come to us and say, no, I only want to work with high school students. I don't even know how to engage with the with the six year old, you know, so so that's where. um, we, we actually dis- we have an opportunity to discuss with them the research and why it's important to connect with younger students. And we have a whole um, sort of a very short training and coaching for presenters before they connect with the younger classrooms. Because, for, for example, simple things like you don't want to show up to talk to a second-grade classroom with a 40-slide PowerPoint deck. So that's the, kind of, that's the kind of thing we are working on is helping them see, instead of coming up with a 40 slide PowerPoint deck, why not do some kind of show and tell? That is more engaging to younger kids. So most companies come in with the idea of, hey, we only want to work with older kids, but we have to sort of educate them and bring them along and train them to be comfortable doing the younger ones. So.
0: Absolutely. And, and I'll just say, even for adult learners, the 40 40- PowerPoint slide deck is not the most engaging uh, either, so uh, maybe take some of those things you learned from NEPRIS and dealing with the younger students, uh, and and use that at uh, at your company as well, because that's often uh, if you can engage a, a younger student like that, then you know that that will still work for old adult learners as well. Um, as far as uh, again on the business side, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are. Are pretty excited about what you're doing at this point in the show um if they they want to get more involved and interested what would be the first steps uh for them to consider uh and and how to connect with you
1: oh it just email us at nepris at nepris.com um you can go to www.nepris.com you will actually get all of the information from there uh we're, we're also um about to host another um webinar that's focused on companies uh we'll make that announcement soon but as of now i think just go to the website or email us at um, support at nepris.com or nepris at nepris.com.
0: perfect and what is the the kind of back-end process time commitment i'm assuming there's a lot of flexibility with the companies um but uh how does that kind of look initially um as far as um how to get kind of on the schedule and what would be the volume that they would be ex- could expect
1: Yeah, no, it's great questions. And I, um, so it depends on really what scale the companies wanna engage. Like like someone like a Verizon has a full-fledged, a branded white label version of Nepris that is branded for the company and there's a whole plan for engaging thousands of their employees in the classroom. But our goal has always been, how do we make it really, really simple, right? Somebody, if you JW, if you want to go in tomorrow and say, my background is in marketing, I want to be able to connect with a few middle school classrooms to talk about marketing, literally takes you five minutes to put in that request. And then the back end process kicks off, we make sure you're actually ready for this, that we actually slate you into the right topics at the right times. so there is a full uh, process where with very little time, you can actually offer something right away, maybe three weeks from now, you wanna talk about marketing to a bunch of middle school students. So as far as the number of students that will participate, it, it really, it's a wide range. Uh, for example, you know, uh, I think this was uh, when code.org did a session that was tied to a national theme of Computer Science Education Week, there were over um, 3,000 students from 128 classrooms that participated. Whereas, if it's a more focused topic, uh, depending on the time of the year that we are offering and stuff, there may just be a handful of classrooms, or there can be 100 plus classrooms. It really, it's a wide range. It depends. But our team actually will work closely with every individual professional and every company coming through helping set these expectations, making it super, super simple to get involved right away.
0: Perfect. That's, um, I think, a great way to kind of wrap up today's time. Um, thank you so much for joining us. You're doing amazing work. Uh, usually on the podcast, we don't uh promote for our listeners to reach out but in this case i'm going to make an exception because it's such a great cause and such a great uh, thing that you're doing to help bridge this gap that is so important uh, now more than ever so thank you so much for joining us today
1: absolutely jw great to connect with you
0: and to all of our listeners thank you so much for joining us as well and remember to always keep learning